and welcome to the 8th of March 2018 edition of Worcester Talking Newspapers. I'm Pippa Curtis, acting editor for this recording. As you may remember last month, I stood in as editor for Charlotte Wanless as she'd just given birth to her first baby. Not surprisingly, Charlotte isn't quite ready to take up the reins again as editor, so I'm afraid you'll have to put up with me for a second time. I'm sure our listeners will join me in wishing Charlotte all the best for the next few weeks and we look forward to your return, hopefully Charlotte, in April. I have uh, an announcement about the annual general meeting which I'd like to share with you. Worcester News and Equipment Services for the Blind announces that the AGM will be held at 6.30pm on Tuesday the 13th of March, that's next Tuesday, 2018, at Colin Chance House, 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester. The postcode is WR51DA. All our listeners are cordially invited and refreshments will be provided. The team for this week's edition comprises Duncan Wynne as editor, sorry, not editor, that's me, as engineer, copier and pretty much everything else. In admin, Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. And our readers today are myself and Catherine Neal and Phil Lee. Would like to say hello? Hello, this is Catherine. Hello, this is Philip. Good to be with you again. The team is sitting around the table in the recording studio and we will be reading clockwise. So it'll be myself talking now and then Catherine as we work around. Unfortunately, Evelyn Brock can't join us this evening as she's laid up with a heavy cold. So we send her our best wishes and hope for a speedy recovery, Evelyn. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here want to make the recording as pleasurable as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our phone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answering machine to take your call. As usual, we will have headlines, followed by local stories. We're going to have a slight change to our running order this week, and we're going to then proceed with the obituaries, followed by local sport, selected programmes, thought for the day, and the birthdays. And talking of birthdays, if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do let us know and we can add it to our birthdays file. All the items follow on and you can stop and start them using the big buttons on your player. You can also hear it on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk, which has the magazine as well and past recordings. I'd also like to make a quick reminder about our Talking Book Library. There's an extensive collection of fiction, thrillers, romance, and all the talking books are available in many formats, tape, CD or USB stick. We can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy, tape or USB sticks. If you are interested, please leave a message on the answer phone, which is 01905 767 766, or put a note in your talking news wallet. So I'll move on now to the main headlines this week. Funnily enough, it's a lot about snow. But starting with Thursday, March the 1st, Headline is paedophile jailed for abusing girls. Friday the 2nd of March, action stations, hostels full, transport hit and schools closed. Saturday the 3rd, whiteout, snow causes chaos. 
Monday the 5th, murder probe, man held after body of missing woman found. Tuesday the 6th, teen set fire to camera over speeding ticket. And Wednesday the 7th, give my son a second chance. So, we shall begin. Catherine, would you like to start with the first headline story? Yes, so this is the uh, main story for Thursday, March the 1st. And as Pippa has already said, the headline is Paedophile Jailed for Abusing Girls. A predatory paedophile has been jailed for abusing underage schoolgirls online after a mother spoke in court of her horror. Christopher Sandal was described by Judge Jim Tyndall as Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, drawing two girls into his dark world and using them for his own pleasure. The 22-year-old of Toronto Close, Lower Wick, Worcester, admitted three counts of inciting a girl aged under 16 to engage in sexual activity and was jailed at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. He first groomed a vulnerable girl online and then drew her friend into the abuse by persuading the girls to kiss each other at a sleepover. Siobhan Collins, prosecuting, said the first girl's initial contact with the defendant had been on May the 24th, 2016, via internet chat rooms, when she was 14 years old. He would ask her on web- webcam to perform sex acts on herself and send him indecent and explicit photographs of herself. The girl told her friend that Sandal knew her age and did not care and added, he says I'm hot so it's cool. At a sleepover on January the 22nd last year, he encouraged the girl and her friend to kiss over Skype. When the girls refused, he said, do this for me and I will leave you alone. They did as he asked, but the second girl, who had been unable to deal with what had happened to her, told the first girl's mother, who then reported matters to police. She had also been concerned that her friend planned to meet Sandal and have sex. Sandal was arrested, giving a no-comment interview to police. The mother of one of the victims spoke of the impact on her family at court. She said, It came out of the blue. My daughter had never talked about boys or had a boyfriend before. The idea that she would go straight to having sex with an adult man she'd only met online filled me with horror. Fighting back tears, she said, This is all a consequence of this man grooming her and interfering with her emotional and social development and well-being. I've had to give up work so that I can support her in her rehabilitation towards normality and to recover from the damage caused to her by this predatory man. Jason Patel, for Sandal, said, It's the biggest regret of his life. He doesn't seek to justify his actions in any way, shape or form. In mitigation, Mr Patel referred to his previous good character, youth and early guilty pleas that she said had been indicated at the magistrate's court. Judge Jim Tyndall said Sandal had exhibited a completely different character online to his real life, his testimonials appearing to show a perfectly ordinary young man. And he said, in your case, it really is more a question of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. What makes matters worse is that you then brought in another innocent teenage girl. There were two victims and the first feels guilty for bringing her friend into your dark world. Judge Tyndall jailed Sandal for four years, three years for the first complainant and a consecutive year for the second complainant. A sexual harm prevention order was made for five years 
to restrict Sandal's contact with children and use of the internet. He must sign the sex offender register indefinitely. The judge said that although Sandal has shown belated insight and remorse, it was completely absent at the time. Pippa mentioned the snow, and here we go on Friday, March the 2nd, over a, a rather large photograph of a gritting lorry helping to keep the roads open and a man throwing snow on the pavements in the city. Action stations. Hostels at capacity due to rough sleepers seeking shelter from the cold. Snow and freezing temperatures cause disruption on roads and public transport. Schools close and homes without water. Hostels in the city are at maximum capacity due to the number of rough sleepers seeking shelter from freezing temperatures, with the weather set to worsen today. Persistent snow and freezing temperatures brought disruption to Worcestershire schools and roads. Many schools were forced to close at lunchtime due to the freezing temperatures, and some announced early that they would not open today. Mag's Day Centre has hosted a night shelter every evening for over a week, although it ran out of beds on three of those nights. St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill, Worcester, has been full too, apart from two days since the end of October. Jonathan Sutton, Chief Executive of St Paul's Hostel, which has 46 beds, said, This is an extreme weather condition. It's the worst winter in my memory. The demand and the pressure it's placing on us is the worst I've ever seen. If homelessness is to continue to rise, as reports say it will, over five to ten years, how on earth are we going to cope with another event like this? Demand will outstrip supply. Schools which say they will not be opening today include Cherry Orchard First School in Pershaw, Hanley Swan, St Gabriel's with St Mary's, CE Primary School in Upton, Abberley Parochial, St Andrew's CE First School in Evesham and Sitchhampton Endowed Primary School in Droitwich, some because they have no water due to frozen pipes. All of Heart of Worcestershire College sites will also be closed today. Water was cut off to several hundred homes and businesses in Upton on Thursday morning. There were warnings about dangerous driving conditions from the police who attended an incident in which one car came off the road in Cowley Road in the Malvern Hills and ended up on a rock. The Met Office's amber snow and wind warning remained in place overnight, saying that heavy snow and strong easterly gusts were expected. The Met Office said, Long delays and cancellations of public transport seem very likely. Some roads may become blocked by deep snow, stranding vehicles and passengers. Long interruptions to power supplies and other utilities are likely to occur. The forecast is for snow from around 9am today and continuing throughout the morning. Temperatures will struggle to get above minus 1 degree Celsius and at periods the feels-like temperature will be at minus 10 degrees Celsius. Well, the snow theme continued with Saturday's March the 3rd's front page. Um, All of the front pages taken up, in fact, with a photograph, um, incredible picture of probably a seven or eight foot high snowdrift, which was um, photographed blocking Barber's Lane in Martley. And you can tell how high it is because there's a walker walking down the lane and the snowdrift is higher than the walker. So it was fairly uh, impressive stuff. So snow causes chaos. Snow caused chaos across the county as schools were closed and the army was drafted in to help NHS staff get to work. The army was called after NHS staff were caught up in the problems caused by the beast from the east. NHS England Chief Executive Simon Stevens said, I want to thank the army. In certain parts of the country where they've helped to get our staff into work, 
We have seen that in the southwest and parts of Worcestershire, Gloucestershire and Lincolnshire. Snowdrifts of up to 10 feet were seen on the roads in areas such as Handy Castle and Brotheridge Green. Martley Road between Martley and Great Whitley was reduced to one lane, whilst Hill Furs Road in Bishampton was also blocked by drifting snow. Five cars in Doverdale Lane near Hampton Lovett Industrial Estate, Droitwich, were stuck, causing long traffic build-ups, and a coach briefly broke down in Newtown Road, Worcester. Many schools were closed for the whole of Friday after closing at lunchtime on Thursday. Train and bus services were cancelled or heavily delayed as Friday travel plans were ruined by the heavy snow. There was a risk of residents being stuck in Birmingham with West Midlands trains reporting that the service to Worcester might stop at 5pm on Friday. Worcester City Council worked tirelessly to make the high street and surrounding areas easier for pedestrians to negotiate. Gritters were out in force on well-used city roads and walkways. Police in Malvern went to visit a 97-year-old whose carers couldn't reach her and made her a hot drink in one of the many shows of kindness to come out of the snow day. Whilst the snow caused chaos for many, others took advantage of a day off to celebrate with their children or even pets. Social media was full of pictures of children having fun in the snow, building snowmen, going sledging or throwing snowballs. By Monday, however, we were back to the usual um, news and the headline I have to read for Monday is Murder Probe, Man Held After Body of Missing Woman Found. A woman who went missing from Worcester has been found dead at an address in Birmingham. Charlotte Teeling, aged 33, was last seen on Thursday, February the 22nd, leaving the Worcester area and possibly travelling by train to Birmingham. Police found her body inside a house in Cooksey Lane, King Standing, at 9.50pm on Friday, March the 2nd. As part of inquiries to trace Miss Teeling, who was reported missing to West Mercia Police on Monday, February the 26th, the officers were led to an address in Coventry in the early hours of Saturday morning, where a 40-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder. He remains in police custody for questioning. Floral tributes have been left outside the house in King Standing. Miss Teeling's brother, Thomas Farrell, paid tribute to her Facebook, posting, We can put an end to not knowing now. R.I.P. Charles T. I love you, beautiful big sis. Broken is an understatement. West Midlands Police Detective Inspector Jim Colclough from the Homicide Unit said, our detectives are reviewing CCTV in the Cooksey Lane area and making efforts to identify witnesses. Another man was initially arrested at the scene, but he has since been released without charge and is not being treated as a suspect. If anyone has any information on Charlotte's movements since February 22nd, which is when she was last seen, or has any information that could help our investigation, then I would ask them to get in touch straight away. Moving on to Tuesday the 6th, and the headline is Teens Set Fire to Camera Over Speeding Ticket. A teenager set fire to a speed camera because it had given his friend a speeding ticket. Michael Duncan, aged 19, was spotted by police in the early hours spraying petrol onto an already ablaze speed camera on Tybridge Street. The teenager of Trent Road, Worcester, pleaded guilty to charges of attempted arson and having an article with intent to destroy at the city's magistrate's court. 
Colette Orton, prosecuting, said police officers were driving down the street towards the city centre at 4.10am on December 27th last year when they saw a speed camera on fire. Duncan, who the court heard had taken 10 rocks of crack that day, was seen by officers actively applying petrol on the flames, continued Mrs Orton. She said that officers said the dependents smelt heavily of petrol and when searched they found a clear plastic bottle containing the fluid and a lighter. The court heard how, while at a friend's flat, Duncan was told the friend had got a speeding ticket, who then suggested the defendant go and set fire to the machine. The pair headed to a petrol station where they filled up a container with petrol before later transferring it to a squeezy bottle. Neil Davis, defending, said no damage was caused by his actions, despite the camera being alight. He said his client had a problem with Class A drugs and had taken drugs before the events of that night. Other people were involved in egging him on, he said. He was the stupid person who did it, and he accepts that. However, Mr Davis went on to say he stopped taking drugs and went cold turkey with the help of his mother, who is sitting at the back of the court. The court heard how Duncan's mum also helped to get him into supervised accommodation and he now receives £250 per month in universal credit. Mr Davis said the defendant is actively looking for employment and previously worked as a trainee chef, with this being his first offence. He said Duncan was an impressionable young man and easily influenced and so unpaid work with other offenders may not be a good idea. Duncan was given a nine-month community order, which includes 10 rehabilitation activity requirement days and 20 hours attendance at a senior attendance centre. David Shadwell, chair of the bench, praised the support of Duncan's mum, but said the rehabilitation activity requirement days and attendance centre would help him to become more independent. This is about helping you improve on your current situation, said Mr Shadwell. Duncan was also ordered to pay a total of £310 in fines and costs, which the court heard his mum would pay for him. Mr Shadwell said, Thanks mum for paying that, and you will get it back, I'm sure, through other means. And so to the headline for Wednesday, March the 7th. Give my son a second chance. A frustrated father says his son deserves a second chance at school after being forced to be homeschooled for four months. Steve Smith-Verrier has hit out at Worcestershire County Council's Special Education Needs team for failing to get his 13-year-old son, Cole, a place at a mainstream city school. But the county councillor responsible for education says it has been in contact with the family and hopes to find a resolution. Mr Smith-Verrier says Cole, who lives with him, was originally expelled two years ago from Nunnery Wood High School before a short spell at Newbridge Short Stay School in Midland Road. I pulled him out in November because of issues there with bullying, the 52-year-old dad said. When he was younger and was expelled, it was for bad behaviour and trouble seemed to follow him. But he's an intelligent kid, he's turned his life around. He has ADHD but has been taking medication. He's as good as gold now. There's been a big difference since he joined the cadets. Mr smith Verrier of Calder Road, Ronxwood, says Cole is currently homeschooled by teachers for a few hours a week, with classes focused on maths, English and science to help him towards passing his GCSEs. He wants to go into the army. Everybody deserves a second chance, Mr Smith said. 
I was speaking to a woman from the county council's SEN, but nothing is happening. I work as forklift driver in Telford, and it's got to the point I'm having to take time off work to get this sorted. Mr smith added he hoped a reference letter from the cadets will strengthen his son's case. In the letter, Bombardier Dale Hawkes writes, On his start in October 2017 at Worcester Troop ACF, Cadet smith was known to be unruly and a disturbance to training, but this was soon identified to be a lack of understanding of the rank structure. After a quick chat and a lesson, he soon understood the roles and responsibilities of the instructors and senior cadets. Cadet smith is now a joy to have in the basic training group, and all my instructors have commented on what a pleasure it is to teach him. He is willing to learn, he has the potential to go far in his cadet career, and would make a good cadet non-commissioned officer. We hope he continues to excel both in and out of cadets. James Laidler, head teacher for Newbridge, which caters for pupils with behavioural issues, mostly excluded from other schools, said he could not comment on an individual, but said, we deal with every bullying issue in line with our policies and speedily. Councillor Marcus Hart, cabinet member with responsibility for education and skills, said... We want every child in Worcestershire to get the best education possible. Our SEND team has been in regular communication with this family and we will continue to speak to them so we can reach a resolution that we are all happy with. So that's all the headline stories done and we'll now carry on to, uh, with reading the other local news stories. So Catherine, if you'd like to begin. Yes, this is an article from Monday, March 5th and it's about the Malvern Hills Repair Café. Giving new life to cherished possessions. During a recent session of the Malvern Hills Repair Cafe, local resident Natalie Canning brought along a Christmas musical bell. The item was broken but had great sentimental value to her and one of the Repair Cafe's skilled volunteers was able to repair the bell and was very pleased to have succeeded. She said, I was delighted to have the bell working again. My children still love it even though they've grown up now. It is a great reminder of my childhood Christmases and my parents, who are sadly no longer here. Colin Walls, the head of the Repair Café management team, as a child in the early 1960s, had an identical musical bell. He said, Our bell was very much part of our Christmas tradition for many years. If I recall correctly, it lasted until my children's early childhood in the 90s when it died. Sadly, there were no repair cafes then. This is just one example of the very many successful repairs carried out by the Repair Café's volunteers during the monthly sessions held at the Friends Meeting House, Orchard Road. Repair cafes are a wonderful way of giving a new lease of life to broken or tired items which may otherwise be thrown away. This way, money is saved and waste is reduced. Sessions take place on the third Saturday of each month between 10am and 1pm. The next is on Saturday, March the 17th. Repairs, which could be to clothing, electrical items, furniture, garden tools, etc., are free, although a donation to help cover overheads is always welcomed. Malvern Hills Repair Café would be delighted to hear from anyone interested in volunteering with them. 
Further information can be found on malvernhillsrepaircafe.co.uk or press at malvernhillsrepaircafe.co.uk or 07950 This is an article about the use of off-road bikes on roads in Warnden villages and the headline reads, We'll Crush Your Bikes. Youngsters riding motorcycles illegally on the road have been warned their bikes will be seized and crushed. Police said they had already crushed one off-road bike worth £3,000 and say they will destroy more if they catch riders using them illegally on roads in and around Warnden villages. We reported how angry residents had spotted young motorcyclists riding at speed around the streets and on pavements. The motorcyclists, many on dirt bikes and not always wearing helmets, have been spotted in various roads including Purley Avenue, Barras Avenue and Lippard Habington. At a meeting of Warnden Parish Council, Police Community Support Officer David Anderson said officers were tackling the problem and in recent weeks had seized three motorbikes and warned youngsters to keep off roads and private property. PCSO Anderson said they will not get their bikes back, they'll get crushed. An off-road bike cannot have an MOT and cannot be insured, the reasons for it being crushed. We had one bike that cost £3,000, they've lost it. They're starting to realise that we're working alongside members of the public and they are sick and tired of it now. PCSO Anderson said bikes had recently been seized in Trots Hill and the alleyway next to Tesco Express. He said, we are all over the place trying to catch them. What we are saying is the public still need to keep giving us a call. Let us know what colour the bike is, which direction it was going, because we know exactly where they're coming from and where they are going. It's just that we need a rough time and to know where we can pounce on them. We are never going to stop it because there are so many, but if we can reduce it to a bare minimum, perfect. Parish Council Chairman Ray Morris said he had seen two motorbikes using the roads on Monday afternoon prior to the meeting. He said... He didn't look more than 13 to me on a yellow bike riding on the inside of the road and looking back all the time. I'm thinking that that is another one that should not be out there. PCSO Anderson said, we are getting the reports. It's just if we can get it slightly quicker, the chances are we can get them. To report incidents, call 101 or email warnden.snt at westmercia.pnn.police.uk. This story was in yesterday, Wednesday, March the 7th's paper, Man on Murder Charge. A man has appeared in court charged with murder after the body of a missing Worcester woman was found last Friday. Richard Bailey from Cooksey Lane, King Standing, was charged on Monday by West Midlands police detectives with the murder of 33-year-old Charlotte Teeling. Bailey appeared in Birmingham Magistrates Court on Tuesday and was remanded in custody. He did not enter a plea. It is alleged the 40-year-old attacked Miss Teeling from Ronxwood at his home on Friday, March the 2nd. The cause of death is still to be confirmed. Bailey was arrested during the early hours of Saturday, March the 3rd. Detective Inspector Jim Colclough from West Midlands Police Homicide Team said, This is a tragic case where a young woman has sadly lost her life. I'd ask that anyone who has any information on Charlotte's movements since 22nd of February, which is when she was last seen, 
or anyone who has any information that could help our investigation and hasn't already spoken to my team, to get in touch. Bailey will next appear in Birmingham Crown Court on Thursday, March the 8th. Uh, this is a story about a good deed that was done during the recent snow. The headline is, The Hunt is On for Corinna's Angel. <clears throat> a carer who became trapped in the snow on her way to see a client is appealing to find the mystery angel who rescued her. Corinna Moldovan of Wick near Pershaw was travelling with a colleague in her Vauxhall mocker car on Station Road between Bretforton and Blackminster when she became trapped in heavy snow at about 7.30pm on Friday, March the 2nd. Ms Moldovan tried to dig the snow from under the vehicle's tyres but failed to get it moving and feared, feared she would be forced to spend the night in the cold. It was so dark and I didn't think someone would be able to see us, she said. But her car was spotted by a kind-hearted man in his twenties wearing a hat who helped Ms Moldovan get unstuck. Ms Moldovan said, I tried to dig the snow from under the car's wheels. Eventually Boy came and tried to help. He was in a little car. He tried to push. He then tied some rope from my car to his to try to pull it out of the snow. But it didn't work. My colleagues then came in their Land Rover to try to pull us out, but they got stuck too. I couldn't believe it. The boy called five or six of his friends, including one girl, and they managed to push both my car and the Land Rover out of the snow. Ms Moldovan said, It was amazing. I just want to thank him. I want to give him a big thank you, and, well, I hope God gives him all the happiness in the world, because he deserves it. If more people were like him, the world would be a better place. I called him my angel. Otherwise, we could have been there all night. I was frozen. Do you know the man and his friends that helped Miss Moldovan? If you do, or think you might, do call 01905 742253. And under a picture of a very snowy Shrub Hill station, we have from Wednesday's paper, Why Was Train Not Running? A county councillor has slammed the Great Western Railway after he claims all trains were cancelled without notice from Worcester Shrub Hill to Oxford on Sunday, despite the snow having largely thawed. However, the rail operator has said a combination of pre-planned engineering works and necessary schedule alterations due to the weather were advertised in advance. Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said the completely unnecessary shutdown meant that I could not attend a long-standing engagement. In a disgruntled email to GWR Managing Director Mark Hopwood, the Conservative councillor, who represents Bedwardine, said that he'd checked online the night before to confirm that the 11.31 train was running. To my amazement, when I double-checked on, Monday, on Sunday morning, I saw that all services to Oxford had been cancelled, he said. The only alternative appeared to be a three-hour journey involving two changes and a bus. Councillor Amos has demanded an explanation saying the thaw had significantly set in by Sunday morning and the forecast was a further improvement. He added, Will you please tell me why you choose to cancel all these services, which are only every two hours anyway, and why did you not inform people on Saturday night so that they could have tried to make alternative arrangements in time? He added, My highways department worked very hard and successfully to keep all our roads open, so it's a great pity that you chose not to do the same for our trains. 
A spokesman for the GWR said the 11.31 service was a pre-planned cancellation. He said pre-planned engineering works between Oxford and Hanborough on Sunday were advertised well in advance of the date on the GWR website. Road replacement transport was due to operate between the two stations and train services either side, subject to an amended timetable. With the impact of severe weather conditions over Thursday and Friday, separately, we needed to revise the usual Sunday train plan due to displaced trains caused by the poor weather, and this was advised on our website. And on to a feel-good story here. Party fun for Stella. A party was held to celebrate the 105th birthday of Stella Price. Mrs Price is now one of about 780 people in the UK, aged 105 or older, and celebrated the special milestone with the help of a visit from Worcester Mayor Steve Mackay and his wife, the Mayoress Alison Mackay. Mrs Price has lived at Northwick Grange Care Home in Northwick Lane, Worcester, for four years, but was born in 1913 in North Piddle. When she was born, King George V was on the throne and Britain was just over 12 months away from the First World War. The FA Cup final that year was held at London's Crystal Palace, with Aston Villa defeating Sunderland 1-0. Mrs Price was brought up in the village of Upton Snodsbury near Worcester, where she lived most of her life. The former postwoman and mother of twins Ron and Margaret has four grandchildren and three great-grandchildren, the youngest being only 18 months old. Jackie Houghton, manager at Northwick Grange Care Home, said, We had a super day celebrating Stella's birthday, and it was made all the more special by a visit from the mayor and mayoress, who were both really keen to meet her. Stella is a wonderful and hugely popular resident here at the care home, and we were delighted to play such a big role in helping her and her family mark such a magnificent milestone. Her birthday was on Thursday, February the 22nd. Happy birthday, belatedly, Stella. (laughs) And this is a story um, about the NHS. And it's the headline is Busiest Day on Record. Monday the 5th of March was the busiest day ever for West Midlands Ambulance Service. The Trust, which covers Worcestershire, received a record 5,001 emergency calls. A trust spokesman said the most regular calls were typical, including people with breathing difficulties, chest pains, sickness and falls. But there were some calls which could have been avoided, such as a woman who was watching Jeremy Kyle in bed and who pressed her emergency button because she said she needed to go to hospital but had no money for a taxi. The service's next busiest day was January the 1st, 2017, which only saw 4,628 calls, some 373 calls less. New Year's Day is traditionally the busiest day of the year for people calling ambulances. Also of concern was that Sunday, March the 4th, was the third busiest day ever, with 4,451 emergency calls received. Anthony Marsh, the Trust's chief executive, said these are unprecedented call numbers. Astonishingly, demand was almost 20% higher than we would have expected. It is a huge concern that so many people have seemingly ignored other NHS services and felt the need to dial 999. 
An increase in cases due to the snow was expected, but the fact that call numbers have spiked upwards so sharply since that period is very worrying. We will be looking into the cases to try and work out whether there are any patterns or reasons behind such rises. Due to snow, we had already put considerably more resources on duty than we would normally have done at this time, yet this was still not enough to deal with all of the cases in a timely manner. For this I'm sorry. Although we were able to resource all of the most serious incidents, unfortunately some patients with less serious conditions did wait much longer than we would have wanted. And my next story is headlined, Call to make city plastic bag free. A call to make the city plastic bag free has been made after a former mayor was inspired by trips to Rwanda. Dr David Tibbet, who was a Conservative councillor at the Guildhall for 10 years until 2014 and mayor in 2011-12, has volunteered in Rwanda several times, carrying out medical work there. And he has always been impressed by the litter-free streets and the lack of plastic bags used in the country due to a nationwide ban. He said... I can't understand why, if a nation as small and poor as Rwanda can tackle the menace of single-use plastic bags, then why can't we do so in the world's sixth biggest economy? There must be more we can do. Dr Tippett has taken the issue to his party colleague, Councillor Alan Feeney, who is Vice-Chairman of the City Council's Environment Committee. He wants to look at getting businesses to use bags made of different materials. He said, each year over 8 million tonnes of plastic enters our oceans with devastating results on marine life. I personally would like to see plastic bags phased out in favour of a biodegradable, reusable alternative. It is actually very simple to accommodate, to, to accomplish this, and I will investigate the ways in which local businesses, city leaders and partners can work together to make this happen. Let's really get behind this and make Worcester the first city to go plastic bag free. The government introduced a 5p charge for plastic bags given out by shops in October 2015, which led to an 85% drop in their use within a year. That followed a successful introduction of a charge in Wales. Earlier this week, Dutch supermarket Ecoplatza opened the world's first plastics-free supermarket aisle with more than 700 items wrapped, if at all, in biodegradable packaging. Environment Committee Chairman Joyce Squires welcomed the prospect of working with Councillor Feeney. She said, I welcome any convert to the cause of tackling the scourge of plastic waste. Local action is important and can make a difference. Uh, this is an article which I think is quite interesting because it tells you where your money is going, or well, some of it anyway, with regard to the council. The annual budget for Worcester City Council is around £10 million. And people parking cars, lorries and buses in the city, whether properly or badly, contribute more than a third of that money. Worcester City Council received more than three million in parking fees from people parking in its car parks in the last financial year. The £3,144,680 it received from people paying for pay and display tickets was an 8% increase on the budgeted figure of £2.9 million. Parking charge notices issued in 2016 and 2017 also brought in 421,860, which means that parking in total brought in more than 3.5 million to the Guildhall last year. Councillors on the City Authority's Income Generation Subcommittee were looking at what the council made and from where 
in order to see how it could make even more money to put towards the services it runs. Councillor Chris Mitchell said, We shouldn't get too hung up on percentage increases. We could work to bring a 40% increase in an item, and that could raise only a few thousand pounds, whereas a 1% increase in parking fees would bring in 30,000 pounds. It is possible that we've gone as far as we can go with car parks, in which case we'll look at something else. One idea put forward was advertising the council's rooms for hire at the Guildhall and the Commandery on the back of pay and display tickets. Councillor Roger Berry said, For years, tickets issued in our car parks have said on the back, You can advertise here. And I've never seen an advert on them. Why don't we promote the Commandery on the back? Funerals were also one of the council's money spinners, with burials, cremations and other funeral charges and fees bringing in a total of 1.6 million, meaning more than half of the council's income comes from funerals and parking. But outdoor activities seem to be dropping off. Hire of council-owned pitches brought in 15,600 last year, a £2,000 drop on the previous year, and a third less than what had been budgeted for. And £30,000 came from allotment fees, which was again less than the previous year and less than had been forecast. I found that rather interesting, but maybe not to everyone else. A short item now um, about the food bank and donations to the food bank. Enough food to provide more than 700 meals was donated by generous shoppers at Waitrose during a collection by Worcester Food Bank on the last Saturday in February. Customers at the London Road store handed over more than 700 kilograms of food and other essentials, including washing powder, nappies and soap. Graham Lucas, Worcester Food Bank manager, said... This was only our second store collection at Waitrose, but shoppers have already donated more than 1.4 tonnes of supplies, which is a remarkable effort. The store also has a permanent collection point. Some more community action here for us. Churches team up for Youth Cafe Fun. A trio of churches in Worcester have come together to give the city's youngsters a safe place to chat and chill. Lightbox Youth Cafe opens its doors for the first time on Friday, March the 9th in Worcester Baptist Church Hall, Sanson Walk, after snow forced the postponement of its original launch last week. The cafe runs on Fridays during term time and is free entry with different opening times for different ages. For school years 7 to 9, now for those of us of more mature years, that's roughly children from 11 years old to 14, for school years 7 to 9, Lightbox opens from 6.30 to 8pm. And for school years 10 to 13, it, it runs from 8pm to 9.30. The purpose of Lightbox is to provide a safe space for young people to spend time with others, make new friends and use youth team as a support source, said Lorna Nichols, the project manager. We're so excited to be launching Lightbox in Worcester. There are many young people who just need a space to call their own where they can connect with other young people, she added. As local churches, we want to be involved in our community and help bring about positive change in people's lives. We're passionate about young people and helping them to fulfil their potential. Our hope is that Lightbox can play a key part in seeing this happen. Three churches behind Lightbox Youth Cafe are St Paul's Church, Worcester, excuse me, St Paul's Church, Worcester Baptist Church and All Saints Church. 
The project came about thanks to a shared passion for young people and a joint ambition to provide youth provision on a Friday night, which will attract and connect with young people in the community so that they have a safe space to socialise and have fun. Lightbox will offer a range of activities for the youngsters, including pool, table tennis, PlayStation, DVDs, TV, games, creative arts, table football and music. There will also be hot drinks, milkshakes, cold drinks, cakes, snacks and sweets. For more details, follow Lightbox on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Lightbox Wuss. A man attacked his mum's car with an axe when she arrived at his home with a partner he didn't approve of. Grant O'Rourke struck the car with an axe when his mum, Amanda Lee, visited on New Year's Day. The 24-year-old of Short Hill Caravan Site, Crossway Green near Hartlebury, admitted possession of an offensive weapon and criminal damage at Worcester Crown Court on Monday. Christopher Lester prosecuting said Amanda Lee had gone to the caravan site to see her son and grandson at about 2pm. O'Rourke embraced his mother, but became upset when he discovered she'd come with her partner, Mr Wilton. The defendant returned from the kitchen with an axe and ordered his mother and partner to leave his plot. Mr Lester said that the passenger side window had been open and O'Rourke held the axe inside the car until Mr Wilton pushed it out. He said the defendant brandished the axe and damaged the wing mirror, knocking it off. The car was said to be a write-off, and Miss Lee had to pay an insurance excess fee of £250. As they were getting into the car to drive away as fast as they could, the defendant struck the side of the car. There are two blows to the car, one on the passenger side, which left a hole in the panel, and the second blow on the driver's side, on the rear panel of the car, Mr Lester said. The defendant was arrested and made admissions in interview. In a victim personal statement, Miss Lee spoke of her great love for her son, notwithstanding what had happened. She said he had helped her through difficult circumstances in the past, but contacted the police because she felt it was the right and proper thing to do, expressing her hope he could get the help he needed. Nick Roberts for O'Rourke said his client could not complete unpaid work because of a back injury caused by him being a carer for his mum for a considerable, considerable time. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, It rather seems as if you didn't approve of her relationship with him. That led to you losing your temper in the way you did. He sentenced him to an 18-month community order with 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days. He must make a £250 contribution to costs. Well, curiously enough, we have another story about an attack on a car, but um, this time of quite a different nature. The headline here is actually a pun. It's caught in Lion of Fire at Safari Park. And there's a picture of some lions as they prepare to jump over the roof of the car, leaving behind a huge paw print shaped dent so it's it's a picture taken from the video footage a hereford woman has told how a pride of charging lions jumped on top of her car at a safari park video footage shows the lightning fast beasts bounding onto the bonnet and roof of the hyundai i30 leaving behind a huge poor print shaped dent Abby Tudge and a friend became shut in the lion enclosure at West Midland Safari Park in Bewdley when the rangers closed the gates for safety last Wednesday afternoon. 
The pair, who had two children in the back seat, were trapped in the section for about 50 minutes as wardens tried to deal with the agitated and aggravated animals. But they were left stunned when the pack suddenly bolted for a female and leapt on top of their car, leaving behind dents and scratches. Abby of Hereford said they were left feeling shaken and feared the car's windows could have been smashed by the animals, which can weigh up to 30 stone. Jazz Raymolds, Abby's friend, was filming the park when the animals emerged. She said, It was the last thing you'd expect to happen on a casual day out. The employees weren't able to open the gates to let us out because of the disturbance. Then a load of them darted towards my car and started jumping all over it. Eventually the gates opened so that we could get out. The only negative is the paw print dent on my car, but it looks really funny and will hopefully be easy to fix. I'm due to take the car in for a service later this week, so they're going to think I'm bonkers when I try to explain that to them. A West Midland Safari Park spokeswoman said, The exit gate of our drive-through lion enclosure was kept closed temporarily due to the lions being close to the gate. This was a precautionary measure to prevent the lions going between gates, causing guests already in the enclosure to wait in their vehicles for a short period of time. The male lions have been in the process of being mixed with the females for a few months now. As with all wild animals, normally harmonious groups can on occasion become particularly active. There was an experienced member of staff within the enclosure and at no time were guests in any danger. The safety and well-being of our guests is paramount. A conservation story now, headlined Trust Saves Meadows. Meadows near Upton containing rare plants have been saved by the county's largest nature conservation charity. Worcestershire Wildlife Trust's newest nature reserve is Hardwick Green Meadows, some 50 acres of floodplain land near to the village of Eldersfield. Since launching a fundraising appeal and submitting a series of grant applications in 2017, the Trust has now raised enough funds to save the fields. Trust Director Colin Raven said, We are thrilled to be able to save these rare and wonderful meadows from an uncertain future and would like to thank everybody who has donated to our appeal. From individuals who donated £10 to funders like Seven Waste Services through the Seven Waste Environmental Fund and the Bannister Trust who donated £50,000 each. Every bit has helped to reach our goal. We must also say thank you to players of the National Lottery who enabled the Heritage Lottery Fund to grant £197,000 towards the purchase cost of Hardwick Green Meadows and our forthcoming work with local schools and communities in the area. Floodplain meadows are a rare find these days. Only 3,500 acres remain across the whole of the UK, and that's about the area of the Malvern Hills. The charity and funding body Esme Fairburn Foundation purchased the meadows on a short-term basis in order to give the trust enough time to raise the purchase and maintenance costs of £460,000. Members of the public raised more than £50,000 through individual donations and £20,000 was generated by charitable trusts. The rest came from gifts left in wills to the trust. The fields are rich in plants such as great burnet, pepper saxifrage and corky-fruited water dropwort and the trust expects the number of plants and insects to increase further. As you probably know, each week in the evening news, the chaplain 
Chaplin's blog, David Southall produces an article and I read through this earlier and particularly wanted to share with it with you all because I thought it was very good. As I walked into the staff room, there was a police officer, a fireman, a person with a guide dog, a midwife and a few others. I was at Hollymount School, one of my favourite places, and we'd been invited in to talk about the jobs that we do as part of Ambitions Week. The idea, organised by enthusiastic teacher Miss Amos, was to show the children that they could aspire to any job they liked if they worked hard. So I went from class to class, talking about what I did as a chaplain. Now, it can be tricky when someone asks you what you, what you do, can't it? Many of you regular readers will know the sorts of things I get up to, but how to explain it to children? Well, I said, if you want to know the most important thing I do, it is this. I put my finger to my ear and said, listening. It is true that I do a lot of stuff, meeting families where their loved one has died, sharing the time of day with staff and hearing their problems and successes, being called to people in emotional turmoil and spending time with them. And all of these are nothing without the skill of listening. As a young psychiatric nursing student, I was introduced to the work of Carl Rogers, who spoke about active listening. And he was right. Listening, proper listening, requires effort. Those of us who have hearing can hear lots of things, but listening needs time to get behind the words. After a short talk, the children asked questions. How long have you been doing this? Where do you work? What is your most embarrassing moment? But the question which gave me the most joy was, why do you do what you do? And the answer is so simple. I do all this to make a difference. I know that this isn't a massive thing and probably won't change anyone's life much. But the smallest of differences is better than no difference at all. And this is a story about art at the Hive. Um, and the headline is Art to Inspire Giant Totem Pole. Families have been invited to the Hive for a drop-in art workshop to create a giant totem pole. Children's artworks will be stacked on top of each other to create a piece that evolves throughout the day. The workshop will be led by Sarah Edwards, an experienced Worcester-based creative practitioner, who will work with the families and take inspiration from the new papercrete and bonsai sculptures currently on display at the Hive. Meadow Arts is running the workshop based on the work The Long Afternoon of Earth Bonsai Sculptures, created recently by international artists in residence Heather and Ivan Morrison. Sarah Edwards said, everyone who takes part in the project will make a piece of work to go onto the structure and participants can create something as simple or as complex as they like. The event will take place between 11am and 2pm on Saturday. Thursday's newspaper now and the headline, Arrests Over Stabbing. Two men have been arrested on suspicion of causing grievous bodily harm after a stabbing in St John's, Worcester. One man was taken to hospital after an assault on Friday night in Sainsbury's car park in Swanpool Walk. The stabbing happened at around 11pm on Friday and the two men arrested have now been released under investigation. 
Detective Constable Edward Jones from West Mercia Police said investigations are currently ongoing to identify all those involved and obtain further information about what happened. We believe it to have been an isolated incident among people who were known to each other. However, I'd urge anyone who saw or heard it happening to come forward and share information to support our inquiries. A West Mercia police spokesman said the injuries were sustained from a bladed article. Harry Williams said he was the only witness to the incident. The 18-year-old, also of St John's, called the police after watching a fight between two men, which resulted in one sustaining stab wounds to his arm. After calling 999, Mr Williams said seven officers, including an armed unit, arrived at the scene. He said the men involved in the fight were arguing in the car park and having a scrap. Then one ran off with a knife and turned back to the other one on the ground and pointed the knife at him. Mr Williams, who was getting money out of the cash machine at the time, said that he saw the injured man hobbling away. He added, I just saw all the blood. Anyone with information, call police on 101, quoting reference number 842S of 23rd February. And finally, the last news story for this week. Benefit cheat spared jail. A benefits cheat who admitted a £48,000 fraud after failing to declare she had a home in London during a decade-long deception has been spared an immediate prison sentence. Sarah Kane of Pippinfield, Warnden Villages was handed a 14-month prison sentence suspended for two years at Hereford Crown Court yesterday. She has yet to sell her London home to free up cash to pay back the money she swindled from the state claiming she cannot put the house on the market because a tenant is still living there. The 51-year-old admitted five counts of benefit fraud over a period of 10 years, between 2007 and 2017. She made a dishonest representation to obtain benefit for herself, housing and council tax benefit, making a false statement to Worcester City Council in that she failed to provide information that she had capital in the form of a property in Marathon Way, London. The first count on the indictment was from January 9th, 2007, and the last count related to a like offence of benefit fraud on February 16th, 2017. So that concludes the local news. As I said at the beginning, we're going to have a slight change in our running order, and we're going to move now on to the obituaries, and then we will finish off the week's news with sport. So if I can ask Catherine and Phil and then myself to read through the obituaries, that would be great. Right, I'm going to begin. Um, Rex Beachy passed away peacefully at Creedon Hill Court Care Home on Friday, February the 23rd, aged 82 years. Sarah Biddle of Ombersley passed away peacefully on January the 27th, aged 70 years. Peter Sidney Freeman of Fernal Heath, latterly of Northwick, passed away at the Alexandra Hospital, Redditch, after a short illness on February the 2nd, aged 85 years. Paul Grooms sadly passed away on February the 14th, aged 71 years. Harvey Hilliard died peacefully after a long battle with Alzheimer's, on February the 1st, aged 92 years. Llewellyn Desmond, 
Hobbs, known as Des, sadly passed away in Worcester Royal Infirmary on Wednesday, January the 31st, aged 87 years. Joan Shaw passed away peacefully on February the 8th, aged 93 years. Elizabeth Steer, known as Liz, passed away peacefully at her daughter's home on February the 10th, aged 75 years. Diane Mary Freeman passed away peacefully at home on February the 16th, aged 75 years. Graham Christopher Hunt, known as Ecker, sadly passed away on February the 15th, aged 68 years. Alan Mountford passed away peacefully in St Richard's Hospice on February the 12th, aged 78 years. Maxine Heather Powell, peacefully at home on February the 21st with her family around her, aged 71 years. Joan Margaret Richards, passed away at home near Clifton-on-Team, on February the 24th, aged 86 years. Irene Mary Williams of St John's passed away peacefully on February the 1st, aged 91 years. We continue. Joyce Lillian Burt passed away peacefully on February the 11th, 2018, aged 82. Olive Cook died peacefully at Willowbank on February the 17th, 2018, aged 94 years. Peter Francis Craddock, former BT employee of over 40 years, passed away suddenly on February the 1st, 2018, aged 82. Diane Griffiths, née Cook, formerly of Worcester, passed away on February the 24th in Rowan's Hospice, Hampshire. Bobby Hobbs recently passed away peacefully whilst in the midst of his loving family. Douglas Allen Young passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 10th, 2018, aged 83 years. Cicely Joyce Payne passed away peacefully on February the 17th, 2018, aged 94 years. And to conclude, Mary Barry passed away peacefully at home on Friday, February the 9th, 2018, aged 85. Clive Dennis Holmes passed away peacefully on Sunday, February the 18th, 2018, aged 67. John Robert Daniels sadly passed away on February the 2nd, 2018, aged 83. Mabel Poigner, known as May, passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 25th, 2018, aged 76. Elizabeth Beatrice Eli, née Teague, known as Betty, passed away peacefully on February the 25th, aged 91. Sadie Smith passed away peacefully on Sunday, February the 18th, 2018, aged 83. Gillian Evans passed away on Sunday, February the 18th, at the Lawns in Kemsey.
Michael Goodman passed away peacefully at home on February the 23rd, aged 53 years. Sheila Smythe of Juniper House passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 10th, 2018, aged 88 years. Sport, and here's a story about boxing from Thursday, March the 1st. The headline is English Crown for Worcester Fighter. Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club's Owen Cooper has claimed the England number one spot. He won in Class B 64 to 69 kilograms at the England Boxing National Youth Championships in Doncaster, improving on reaching the semi-finals last year. Worcester clubmate Jake Lee reached his cadet class A 69 to 75 kilograms final before being pipped on a split decision. Four-time Midlands champion Cooper, who's 17, beat national junior development champion Rio Gordon from Harwich in the last eight with an impressive points success. Against 2017 European gold medalist Jack Oliphant in the semis, both boxers impressed. But with Cooper giving Oliphant a standing eight count in the third round, he won via a dominant unanimous decision. The final against Tyler Rivers from Earl Shilton saw both boxers come out strongly determined to win in an exciting, powerful fight. Both boys threw and landed head and body shots, but Cooper was victorious on a split decision to take the belt, and he now moves forward to the European selection camp. He said, this is all I've wanted. I've been boxing for four years and I'm happy that I've come to this. It was a very tough bout. You've got to give credit to him. It was hard in there. Seeing the belt earlier pushed me on. I didn't want to lose it. I've been nervous all day, not for the fight, but because I wanted that belt. I want to thank everyone, all my coaches, my family and the club for bringing me here. Double Midlands champion Lee, who's 16, had a bye in the semi-finals to face Connor Carroll. He was too strong for Carroll, giving him two standing eight counts before the fight was stopped in the second round by a technical knockout. Lee gave an outstanding final performance against Tyreek Campbell from Repton with strong, fast head and body shots throughout the three rounds. He tired Campbell out, but somehow his opponent pushed on and battled back. It was tense at the end, with everyone on the edge of their seats, but the split decision was awarded to Campbell. Worcester coaches Mick Underwood, Harry Butler and Sean Finn worked hard with both boys, preparing them for the championships. And there is a lovely photograph of them both looking very happy with their wins. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Worcester City now and the ongoing financial story there. The headline is Hampson, board must share blame. Chairman Anthony Hampson admitted Worcester City's quotes out of control quotes playing budget had been the biggest reason behind losses of more than £290,000 last season. Hampson revealed money paid to players in 2016-17 had increased by £65,000 from the 287000 reported in the previous year's accounts. The city chief said a flexible budget ranging between seven and eight thousand pounds a week had been agreed in pre-season, in the hope of creating revenue from cup runs. With an agreement with then manager Carl Healy to cut costs should success fail to materialise. 
We wanted to put together a budget that we thought adequate to get us a bit of a cup run, but with a new entrance such as Salford City, it totally skewed the levels, said Hampson. You sit with the manager, try to see what is attainable. The manager then goes out to get in players. You all sit together as a board with the manager. The figures suggest that more than 350000 was spent across a 10-month campaign in which City slashed the budget in February, shortly after Healy resigned as manager. Asked whether Healy had exceeded the budget set by City, Hampson replied yes. There was an element of flexibility to it. If he got players in, he had to make savings of the rest of the squad. That's how it should work. Asked whether that had happened, Hampson replied, no, not really. He was slow to act to what he s- react to what he saw. Asked what he would say to critics of City's monetary policy for the season in question, Hampson said, they are probably right, but it is difficult to stop. Once the budget is set for the season, it is extremely difficult to put on the brakes. We would have been rele- relegation fodder and the gates would have plummeted. We would have had no chance of any cup runs whatsoever. You cannot just put an immediate stop to it. We shed costs as quickly as we could and had to buy out some of the players' contracts to save money. It had got out of control. The nature of signing players is such that you don't get a lot of time for debate. The manager will sometimes go off and sign them. I think Carl should have cut the budget much sooner after the cup run did not materialise. The manager has to accept that the deal was at the beginning what the deal was at the beginning of the season. He knew what it was, but he held on to the players. Asked how much responsibility he felt Healy should take for the club's losses, Hampson replied, Everyone has to take responsibility. I don't think it is a question of finger pointing at one person. Carl was a servant of the club for many years and I personally hoped that he was going to develop and manage the situation better. We all discussed it and took the decision together. Bearing in mind we had two good years, it was probably over-ambitious to think we could do it for a third time in a row. Healy politely declined to comment until he has, quote, fully digested the comments. And here's a story about Worcestershire County Cricket Club, new CEO aiming for the next level. Matthew Ronsley outlined his hopes, plans and ambitions after taking over as the new CEO of Worcestershire. Ronsley, 41, brings top-level business experience over 15 years and cricketing links as a former county player. He will have a big role on the cricket side, handling issues such as new contracts and overseas players, and will work closely with new head coach Kevin Sharp, who has replaced director of cricket Steve Rhodes. Ronsley, who takes over from Tom Scott, also wants to build on the growing commercial and business side of the club and help to take it to the next level. But he stressed the importance of an all-for-one and one-for-all mentality within the playing and commercial side of the club. Of his own cricket experience, Ronsley said, It adds a value. It's a benefit having credibility with the players when talking about their role in the club. Also, having that understanding of how the cricket fits with the commercial side and vice versa to make sure we have got a strategy for the club moving forward. A key area initially is for me to bring all that together, for everyone at the club to see themselves as part of the club, that they're not part of the commercial or the playing side. We will all be in this together and if one person does well, everyone does well. Let's celebrate each other's success across the whole organisation. And here's a story about football. 
and it's really an opportunity for the newspaper to give us a, a lovely, delightful photograph of eight young boys in, who form the team, the Colts Under Nines, and it is about their triumph, really. Colts Under Nines to go for honours in Shield Final. Worcester Colts Under Nines are looking forward to the George Good Memorial Shield Final this month. They beat hosts Nunnery Wood Colts Typhoons 3-1 in their last four clash. Colts will face Lee and Bransford Badgers Dynamo in, or I should say Lie, sorry, and Bransford Badgers Dynamo in the final at Malvern Town's HD Anywhere Community Stadium on Sunday, March the 11th. Dynamo defeated City Juniors 4-1 in the semi-finals of the Mersion Fortis Junior League competition. Right, let's move indoors now in this cold weather and look at some basketball. Worcester Wolves, Wolves preparing for playoff push, it says in very big letters. Head coach Paul James says playoff chasing Worcester Wolves are relieved to see the end of a nightmare February and are ready for a final push in the British Basketball League. Last month saw Wolves lose four of their eight games in a hectic schedule while missing out on a place in the British Basketball League trophy final. They were also hampered, hampered by injuries with Dallin Bashinsky ruled out with an Achilles tendon problem and went down to just four first-team regulars last week when three of their players earned international call-ups. But LVC Dusha, Robert Gilchrist and Michael Ojo have returned to the club after representing Albania, Great Britain and Nigeria respectively. Worcester currently lie in sixth position with 12 games remaining and need to finish in the top eight to secure their place in the end-of-season playoffs. Hopefully, LVC, Rob and Mike enjoyed the experience and will come back re-energised and be ready to go again, James said. There were 12 games left and we're still not guaranteed a place in the playoffs. February has just been a nightmare, so it is good to be able to start a new month. We want to try and finish as high as we can in the league and really go for it in the playoffs. This now is the final push. However, tonight's clash with second place Newcastle Eagles has been called off due to adverse weather conditions. James said, apparently the conditions are horrendous in Newcastle, so it is a very sensible decision, especially with all the weather warnings that are out there. The game is likely to be rescheduled for midweek in April, but nothing has been confirmed yet. This has come as a good time for us, with guys just coming back from international duty, so they have now got more time to recover. Well, as uh, regular listeners will know, I can never resist a netball story, and this is one about one of our local teams, Worcester Reds. Worcester Reds secured their fourth England netball Mizuno Premier League one win of the season. The third from bottom City hosts beat mid-table Leeds Athletic 52-43 to establish a three-point advantage over Team Bath Toucans. Reds made the long trip to bottom team Oaksway on Sunday. Sorry, Reds make, so they were about to go. On Sunday at Brighton Community Sports Centre, Hartlepool. The University of Worcester staged a thrilling contest between, against Leeds involving two well-matched teams. Reds suffered with bad luck in past games, but pushed themselves in a physical encounter. They won plenty of interceptions and turnovers while outsmarting an inexperienced defensive unit during a real team effort. Strong, strong direction from centre court helped Reds settle and they led by one in the first quarter. They dominated the second quarter 17-5 with defensive players moving the ball quickly and Worcester creating plenty of chances. 
Leeds began to block many of the incoming balls to get back into the match and Reds had to vary their tactics. But the hosts, led by player of the match Rachel Sweet, took the final quarter 13-9 to see out a nine-goal win. That concludes the sports news for this week and so we will move on to radio and if I can ask Catherine to highlight a couple of choices uh, from her first date, that would be brilliant. So the first date is this Saturday, which is March the 10th and um, I've selected um, as what I would like to listen to two programmes on Radio 3. The first one at five o'clock in the evening, uh, jazz lineup, and it is highlights of a performance by the Euro Radio Jazz Orchestra, featuring promising young European players, directed by French trumpeter and arranger Erel Besson, recorded in November, and that sounds uh, great fun. And immediately after that, at six thirty, there is a performance of. Carmen, coming from the Royal Opera House. Uh, This production of Carmen, Bizet's opera Carmen, is a controversial one. Um, It's often thought, or it's been thought to be quite Brechtian as a reassessment of the opera. Um, And the the write-up here in the Radio Times says it recalls both Busby Barclay's high-kicking Broadway extravaganzas and a decadent Weimar Republic review. Carmen meets Cabaret. And that takes us to Sunday. Um, and I've picked out here a programme on Radio 3 at 5.30 uh, in, the, in the afternoon, clearly. Radio 3's programme called Words and Music. Free-thinking festival from Sage Gateshead finishes this evening, but recordings of the sessions will play out over the next couple of months, including Lionel Shriver, June Sarpong and Alexis Sale. Check our listings for details. Um, the programme will invite actors Carolyn Pickles and Jonathan Keeble to read pieces of poetry and prose next, uh, linked to this year's theme, The One and the Many. And while extracts from Orwell's 1984 and Camus' The Outsider might not come as much of a surprise, no one would have predicted classical music inspired by a football match. So that should be well worth listening to. So for Monday... March the 12th, I have a couple of things I'd like to draw your attention to, Um, both actually on Radio 4, and the first is at 7.45pm, it's the return of Scott Cherry's crime drama following the work of family liaison officer Jackie Hartwell, and the storyline goes, joyriders have crashed their stolen car and died at the scene, but what caused the teenagers to rebel? And then following on from that at 8 o'clock on the same station, a very topical programme about um, pay. And it says, if you ask your employer why they pay more to their male members of staff, there will be a nigh-on insuperable variety of reasons. Are more men in senior posts? Are more women younger and more junior? Etc., etc. And this programme has Professor Emma Griffin taking a historical look at the gender pay gap with contributions from Francis O'Grady and Sam Smethers and Krista Cowman. I suspect that could make for some very very interesting listening. Moving on to Tuesday, um, the two programmes that I've selected uh, are as follows. One is on Radio 2 at 11.30 in the morning, and it's, no, 11.30 in the evening, excuse me, 
Um, and it is actually... Um, no, I'm looking at the time. And I can't work out what time it is. I think it must be in the morning. Anyway, no, it's in the evening. Sorry, do excuse me. <laughs> anyway, it's Listen to the Band. Brass Band Specialist Frank Renton celebrates the major winners in the 2017 Banding Competition Arena. And so that sounds as if that would be great to listen to. Uh, the other programme I've selected is on Radio 3 at 1pm. And it is a lunchtime concert. Um, and it's particularly of women composers. It's coming from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. And it's a week of lunchtime concerts. Um, highlighting unjustly neglected works alongside the more familiar. It's called Women in the Shadows. Right. I have an abiding interest in railways, but please don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's just between you and me. Um, and on Wednesday, there's a programme on Radio 4 at 11am called On and Off the Valley Lines. It says Martin Williams has come up with a series of three programmes that give voice to the valleys of South Wales via a train line that fans out from north from Cardiff. This cradle of industrial history might have come to be associated with the coal mining and steelworks that once dominated the landscape, but as one contributor says, the story of the area is one of resilience, not deprivation. My other programme is on Radio 2, and it's a great favourite of mine, Bob Harris. It's called Old Grey Whistle Test 40, uh, and it's 40 years on from the original broadcasts of that. Bob Harris continues a celebration of the show. He discusses the old days, old days with Debbie Harry and Greg Lake, no mention of Emerson or Palmer, and there are session tracks from Judy Souk and Steve Hackett. Right, for Thursday the um, 15th of March, um, I'm going to draw your attention in fact to a series that starts on the Monday and it's on Radio 4 every day at 1.45 and it's um, five stories about horses. Uh, but the one on the Thursday I think sounds particularly interesting because it's, it's race horses. And Claire Balding is involved. She discovers the secrets of the thoroughbred racehorse, meets a newborn foal at Newmarket and views some of the artefacts on show at the National Heritage Centre for Horse Racing and Sporting Art. So if you have a keen interest in horses, 145, BBC Radio 4, all that week. And finally, Catherine, on yes, Friday. Yes, and this is an either-or for next Friday, the 16th of March, because they're both happening at the same time. One, one option is on the BBC World Service at 8.30pm, and it's a programme called Crowd Science. Um, it is a discussion programme, and this one is coming from the Free Thinking Festival at Sage Gateshead. The subject under discussion uh, is asking the question, are we individualists or, or must we accept that we're profoundly influenced by others, particularly those we respect? Uh, do we follow the crowd then or do we follow our own inclinations? So that's at 8.30pm on the BBC World Service. Cutting across that, at 8 o'clock, 8pm on Radio 2 uh, is Friday night is music night and if you like the band Queen, then this is a showcase of Queen's hits performed with a rock band and four singers who starred in the West End production of the Queen musical We Will Rock You. So, plenty to get on with on Friday. 
Thank you all. Um, for your information, the radio programmes that we have highlighted all come from the Radio Times and they were selected, obviously, by us as individuals. And before we close, um, I would like to make a birthday announcement. Um, I think I said before, if you do have a birthday and you want us to mention it, uh, just get in touch. But on the 17th of March... It will be Roger Turner's birthday, and from all at the Worcester Talking News paper team, we'd like to wish you a very happy birthday, Roger. Um, and I would then like Phil, if you wouldn't mind, to read the thought for the week. Um, this thought from the week comes from John chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thank you, Phil, very much. The last item on my list is to thank all people who've made donations, including this week, Joan Edwards. Any donations are very much appreciated, so thank you. Right, I'd like to make another thank you, and that's to tonight's reading and production team for what I hope will be seen as a good job tonight. So it's a goodbye from our recording engineer who has actually seamlessly swapped during the course of the evening from Duncan Wynn to John. Uh, John is obviously wanting to remain anonymous because he's not telling us his surname. <laughs> but thank you, John, in the recording studio. And from our readers... It's goodbye from me, Catherine. And from Phil, goodbye for now. And goodbye from me, Pippa.